morning. Um, Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And if you want to follow along, you can find that on page 6 of your bulletins. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We are nearing the end of our summer sermon series, Who is God? And each week what we've been doing is we've been studying one of the attributes or the characteristics of the God of the Bible. And so we've looked at the knowability of God, the truth of God. Uh, We've studied the omniscience of God, how he knows everything and the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. We've looked at the sovereignty of God and the kingly shepherding character of God, the beauty of God, the triune nature of God. God is one God and three persons, the love of God, the wrath of God, and the wisdom of God. And now we've got two more, two more in this series to go. Today's message, and then next week, Pastor Yancey will finish up this series with the unchanging nature of God. And so two more to go. Let's look at today's passage together, but first let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we depend upon you. We depend upon you to show up in this time to make clear to us your word, your heart, your truth, to remove whatever blockades that we might have in our minds and our hearts, our wills. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to not only give us clarity, but also to give us life, to give us hope, to uh, fire up our hearts, our souls, that we'd want to become more like you, even as we learn about who you are, that we would want to become more like you. We pray that you would do that work through your word. Please come now. Please come. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My two older kids were fighting in the basement, which, of course, simply meant that the sun had risen and it was just another day. I could hear them in the kitchen, as I often can, and my son was letting out one of his deeply agitated crescendoing, I will not be reasoned with screeches, and my daughter was hollering, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair, again and again, almost as if 
to expect that just by repeating that loudly and repeating it again and again, it's not fair that her brother might suddenly relent and say, oh, oh well, oh, now I understand. It's not fair. I was being unfair. I didn't think so the fifth time, but thank you for repeating it the sixth time. Right? Something just clicked. Here's the Lego train. Well, of course, that's not how things went. In fact, the fifth repeat was about the time when Jeremiah started hitting his sister. That's how it actually worked. You know, anyone interested in babysitting my kids? Um, well, this incident got that phrase stuck in my head this past week. It's not fair. Maybe recently that's been the cry of some of your hearts. I remember being surprised as a parent about just how early kids pick up that phrase. You know, where, where did you learn that? It was Caillou, wasn't it? That Caillou, right? But I've come to believe I shouldn't have been surprised at all because the cry of injustice, you know, is one of the deepest and most natural cries of the human heart. Why should I be surprised that a young child should latch onto it and express it so clearly, so early? After all, we have all, young and old, been made in the image of God, and according to the Bible, the God of the Bible is a God of justice. What does the Bible mean by the justice of God? To answer that question, we're looking at Luke chapter 18, where Jesus is telling his disciples a parable. A parable, what's that? A parable is a fictional story with a spiritual meaning. Jesus' story went something like this. In a certain town, there was a judge. He wasn't a good judge. He was a bad judge. He neither cared for God nor for people, nor even apparently for justice itself. He certainly had little concern for a poor widow in his town who day after day after day requested a ruling in her favor. Grant me justice against my adversary. She would appeal to this unjust judge, though he'd refuse to listen to her cause and refuse again and again and again, until finally one day the judge gave in to the pressure. I really could care less about any of this, he said to himself, but this widow keeps badgering me, and so I guess I'll give her what she wants. And so the poor, persistent widow received the ruling that she requested, in fact, the justice that she deserved. Jesus goes on to explain the meaning of this parable in the final paragraph there. And the key, he says, to unlocking the story is this. It's understanding that God is everything that this judge is not, and we are like the widow. And here's the lesson. If even an unjust judge will finally act justly on our behalf, how much more will God, a God of justice? And if 
This poor widow can persevere in making her plea despite the judge's undependability. How much more should you and I persevere in light of God's perfect dependability? In other words, Jesus here is making two main points, and we'll look at each of them in turn. Jesus is making two main points. First, God is a God of justice who responds to cries of injustice. The Bible clearly tells us that God is just. Justice is an essential part of his divine character. Jesus states this clearly in verses 7 and 8, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And so naturally someone asks, what is justice though? What exactly is it? And there are a few ancient words that are often translated justice in our Bibles. We find one of those words here in this passage. In verse 3, where it says, grant me justice. Or verse 5, I will see that she gets justice. Verse 6, the unjust judge. Verse 7, will not God bring about justice? Verse 8, he will see that they get justice. So what is it? Simply put, justice, according to the Bible, is giving people their due. What they are rightly owed. And to unpack that just a little bit more, let me point out that there are actually two sides, two sides to this biblical definition of justice. And the first is that justice is what's due to people as wrongdoers. In other words, it's punishment. This is, you know, what we commonly associate with the word justice. Someone breaks the law, whether civil laws or God's moral law, And penalty or punishment is what they're now rightly owed. We might call this the the negative side of justice. See, even in Jesus' story, the widow has been wronged in some fashion. We're not given any details. But she mentions an adversary in verse 3. And we can just imagine that as she asks the judge for justice, part of what she's asking for perhaps is punishment for this adversary. See, this side of justice is an essential part of our understanding of our just God. Indeed, it's essential to who God himself is. Which is why 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 describes God as him who judges justly. Revelation 19.11 says of Jesus, with justice he judges. According to Proverbs 21, verse 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Because God is truly just, Exodus 34, 7 and Numbers 14, 18 tell us that God can by no means clear the guilty. Justice must be served for human sin. Which, of course is exactly what makes the cross of Christ such a wonder. God is just. He cannot just overlook evil. If God treated our sins inconsistently, 
or preferentially, he wouldn't be worthy of our worship. But see, the good news of God's grace is that God made a way for you to be rescued from God's justice without compromising his justice. God made a way to rescue you and me from the justice of God without compromising the justice of God. Because Jesus died the death that you and I deserve. That's what was due to us, is due to us. He was punished in our place as our proxy. Justice for your sins was served only in Jesus. So if you've embraced him, you can now believe with gospel confidence, banking on the justice of God, that this promise from Romans 8 is now true for you. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the penalty has been fully paid. Hallelujah. All your sins are forgiven, guaranteed. John Newton wrote the lyrics to the well-known hymn, Amazing Grace. He also penned these beautiful words to another hymn called, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. And listen to these words. Let us wonder, grace and justice join to, and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, Justice smiles and asks no more. He who washed us in his blood has secured our way to God. Justice smiles and asks no more of you, of me, because justice is what is due. Justice is what is due to people as wrongdoers, namely punishment for our sins. But on the cross, Christ stood in my place and was punished for me. That's the gospel. But there's a second side, you know, a second side to the Bible's understanding of justice. Justice is also what is due to people as image bearers which is their protection. This we might call not the negative side, but rather the positive side of God's justice, his commitment to protect the vulnerable. You see, the woman in this story is a widow. Almost for certain, Jesus placed her in this story to make a point. Because this woman is vulnerable. She has no advocate She's forced to represent herself before this unjust judge. In the ancient world, she would have been counted as among the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, physically, socially, legally, financially. She was probably struggling to make ends meet. She has been taken advantage of, first by the original adversary, and then now also by this 
judge. And so the God of the Bible calls himself the protector and the provider of widows such as her. We find in places all throughout the Bible claims of God and descriptions of his character like this. In Psalm 68, the Lord calls himself a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. In Psalm 140, verse 12, we're told this, the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Psalm 146 says this so sweetly, the Lord executes justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Do you know this God, the God of justice? Or as Jesus declares in our passage in verse 7 and 8, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly, God is a just God. Because justice is the protection of and provision for the most marginalized and vulnerable in society. Justice is to give the wounded and the oppressed what is due to them, what is rightly owed to them as people made in the glorious image of God. And those who know and love this God, therefore, are called to seek justice like their God. We are obligated, therefore, to protect and to care for people who have been stripped of their God-given Dignity because of evil and the brokenness of our world. People who've been denied equitable treatment in society. We're called to love and to seek justice like our God. And this especially involves four groups of people that God repeatedly names as those for whom he has special concern. The poor, which includes Yes, the homeless and the hungry, but also those who are employed but still lack the material and relational resources to find shelter, basic necessities, flourishing in life. The widow, which also includes the elderly, whose lives are increasingly devalued in modern society. The fatherless, in other words, vulnerable children, from the unborn to foster children to orphans to children in single parent families to young girls who are trafficked and enslaved in the sex industry. And the foreigner, the poor, the widow, the fatherless, and the foreigner, which of course includes biblically refugees, racial minorities, and immigrants. The poor, the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, do you know the heart of God for such as these. And if this describes any of you, do you know God's distinct and special heart for you? 
And don't you see this call from Scripture to be like our God in this manner such that regardless of whether or not society in general or nation or local community pays attention to such as these, or even the church herself with great tragedy, do you understand that if you are a follower of Christ, these are your marching orders to seek justice, to set free the oppressed, to lift up the lowly, to love as you have been loved. And before we move on, let me make just a, a few important clarifications that we can draw out again from this passage. First, Remember, justice is owed. It's grounded in people's created nature as those, as those made in the image of God. Justice is owed. It's not charity. It's rightly described as a Christian obligation. God seeks justice, and we seek justice, not because we're nice, but because it's right. Secondly, we must not only not harm the vulnerable, I don't actively exploit the poor, so I guess I'm okay, no. We're also called to work positively for their protection and restoration. You just listen to how active the language of scripture is, for example, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the, uh, the uh, oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. We must be active and work positively for the cause of justice in our world. Third, doing justice means not only meeting the needs of individuals, it also means addressing systems. The widow here in Jesus' story, you might have noticed, suffered injustice on two counts. She was wronged by her adversary, and she was also denied justice by a judge who just refused to render a right decision. The system failed her. As Isaiah 58 says, we are to loose the chains of injustice and break every yoke of slavery, not simply to set the captives free, but to break the yoke behind them from which they have been set free. We're to dismantle sinful social systems as Dietrich Bonhoeffer himself, who was martyred in Nazi Germany, once wrote, we're not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We're to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. Fourth, you might have noticed that Jesus' focus on verse seven, in verse 7 is on justice for his chosen one which of course is a reference to those who have actually come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, it's true, God does have a distinct concern for the vulnerable who also are his children, followers of Christ. 
And yet, we need to understand this. Not and yet. Therefore, out of concern for the common good, it's very important that we not overlook vulnerable peoples even within the Christian community. It is important to start within the family of God to those immediately around you in spiritual community. And yet it's also true that out of concern for vulnerable Christians, we must not, we must never overlook our obligation to do good to all, to seek justice on behalf of those, even those who might disagree with core Christian convictions. Fifthly, Jesus also suggests that justice is both now and not yet. He says in verse 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. God will provide for the needs of the vulnerable even today through the hands and feet of his people working with compassion and vigor in the world. But Jesus in this passage is also looking ahead to the future day when the Son of Man comes, he says in verse 8. Justice will not be found in full until Jesus returns and makes all things right. You say, why does this matter? Because we will get discouraged or harden over in cynicism if we forget that perfect justice is not yet. That we might seek justice and pursue it with all our might as we should faithfully and humbly. And yet in this broken and fallen world, perfect justice is not yet. And on the other hand, we will become passive or slothful if we forget that incremental justice is to be labored for, yes, even now, because justice is now and not yet. And Jesus is coming soon, dear friends. God is a God of justice who responds to cries of injustice. This is the first main point of Jesus' parable about the unjust judge, but you may have forgotten by now, I said in the beginning that there were two main points, two main themes that Jesus wanted to draw out that he wants you to receive. And that second one is this. Given that God is a God of justice, committed to us in such a way, committed to the vulnerable, we should therefore persevere in prayer and not give up. Luke tells us in verse 1 what Jesus' purpose in this parable was. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Why? To show them that they should always pray and not give up. Because you know, it's hard to hope for justice in a broken world, in a fallen nation, in amongst flawed Christians. It's hard to keep on keeping on. And this is so important for us to hear because I know many of you care 
and are even committed to the cause of justice, whether vocationally or spiritually, because you know this is a mandate that's placed upon the lives of Christians, but you're tired. I'm tired. And so to hear Jesus say, God hears those who cry to him day and night, can give you strength and hope that you never knew you could have. You see, because the Bible is very clear, as we've spoken about already, that we are called to actively work and labor and fight for the cause of justice with our very hands, with our time and our energy, devoting the power that we have been blessed with, whatever social power that might be, devoting that in love to those who are powerless. We must work for justice, but we must also understand that one of the best and most vital ways that we work for justice is through the work of prayer. In fact, one of the most subversive things that you can do for the cause of justice is to pray and pray and dare again to pray. Because if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it's easier to run outside and get busy than it is to quiet your heart and get onto your knees and plead with God to please come Because many of us feel powerless, uh, maybe even like the widow. And I don't know how many of you watched the Mayweather-McGregor fight last night. And that's where the analogy ends. <laughs> but seeking justice is a fight, isn't it? In verse 5, the word the judge uses as Jesus tells this story, the word that he uses to describe what the widow was doing to him with her persistence, coming to him again and again, pleading her case, asking for justice again and again and again. What's that word? Well... Some scholars say, bothering me, as we have in our translation, is probably too weak a translation. Badgering me, they say, might be better. In fact, Jesus is taking a word that is drawn from the ancient world of boxing. You see, prayer is a fight. And prayer for the cause of justice, calling for the grace of the God of justice, is to get into the boxing ring against sin, oppression, and evil in this broken world. And how is it that you fight? There are many ways. Jesus is drawing our attention to one of the most important ways. How do you fight? You pray again 
and again and again. Because of the character of God, because you know he's a God who's committed to justice, not because he just likes the idea, but because he embodies the idea, because justice itself emerges and arises from the very heart and nature of God. And so we pray. And so we get knocked down and we get up again. And so we step back into the boxing ring one more time, daring to hope. Drawing confidence not from our own dependability, but upon God's. Not upon our own character, but upon God's. Not upon our own resources against injustice, but upon God's. Not on our own perseverance at the end of the day, but upon God's. Do you believe in the God of justice? And if so, will you get into the boxing ring? And will you pray for justice? And will you labor for justice? And will you bow your knee and worship and glory in with wonder and awe before this great God, our God of justice? Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for your words. Penetrate our hearts. Give further clarity to our souls. Energize our weak knees and our feeble hands. Renew our prayers, our cries to you. On behalf of ourselves, on behalf of our neighbors. God, we seek your face. We seek justice. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing. Let's call upon the Lord to do it indeed.